I'm Cameron Harold, the founder of the Second in Command podcast. Really quick, before we jump into today's episode, you need to know about two important ways that we can help you and your company grow. Number one, check out the COO Alliance. It's for COOs, presidents, VP ops, or whoever is your company's second in command to the CEO. The COO Alliance is the world's leading community for the second in command, and it gives COOs the tools and connections to grow themselves and the company. Head over to COOalliance.com to learn more about our members and the results, the program, and our 10x guarantee. If you qualify for membership, you can set up a complimentary call with our team to discuss if it's right for you. I'll tell you about number two in a bit, but first, let's start this week's episode. Any entrepreneurial company that starts with a vivid vision, aligns their team with that vivid vision, and then focuses on the critical few projects that start making that vivid vision happen, and then you build it like you're building a home, the foundation, you put in the walls, you put in the electrical and the plumbing. Entrepreneurs get all distracted. They want to put in the beautiful stove and the nice cabinets, but they forget about the foundation right? The core values, the core, that, that's kind of my approach. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Cameron, welcome to an episode of Successful Scales, mate. Thanks for making the time. Hey, Yoni. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, uh, super excited to to jump on. And, you know, like we said, well, like I said before we hit record, we're really excited about being part of the COO Alliance and already seeing some really tremendous value only weeks in. So excited to know you, excited to have you share some wisdom to now 150 strong community of, you know, some really high power individuals. But before we jump into the podcasts and everything. I've been following your content and you along for some time now and I've been super impressed. But I'd love you in your own words to tell me and rather our listeners a little bit about your background and your history and, and where you are today. Sure. Yeah. So I won't start with the CO Alliance. I'll go backwards and then kind of fast forward to today. So I was groomed as an entrepreneur. Uh, my father was an entrepreneur. Both sets of grandparents were entrepreneurs. And they groomed the three kids, my brother, sister, and myself, to be entrepreneurs. We were all taught at a very young age that having a job was a stupid idea and that being an entrepreneur gave you control of your time. And it was all about having the free time to have a great life. And then the money would follow, which it has. My brother and sister and I have all owned our own companies for between 15 and 25 years. So it's all we've ever really known. Um, I had my first real operational company when I was 20 years old. I had 12 full-time employees when I was 20. I operated a house painting business and um, got involved with a group called College Pro Painters, joined the head office and started recruiting and training franchisees, coaching franchisees. Uh, By the time I was 28 years old, I had coached 120 entrepreneurs. So that was back in 1989, I started coaching entrepreneurs before coaching was actually a thing. International Coaching Federation and CoachU didn't start until the mid-90s. So I had even coached Kimball Musk. I hired Kimball Musk, Elon's brother, back in 93, and his cousin, Peter Reeve. They both worked for me in 93 in Toronto. So that was a kind of a coaching around entrepreneurship thing. Then I left College Pro um, after about seven years there, joined a group called Boyd Auto Body as a partner, and I joined the franchising group. We built that up, took the company public, 
Uh, it was a great, it's now the largest auto body chain in North America. It's called Gerber Auto Collision in the US, Boyd Auto Body in Canada. Left there and I was hired as president of a private currency company. Um, we built that company up and sold it right at the height of the dot-com era. Uh, we actually sold, but we were public and the company that bought us was public. By the time the transaction closed, our $64 million valuation was worth three. So we literally blew up. The company blew up because the internet blew up around us. So we lost $61 million in valuation um, in a period of three months. So I became a garbage man. I joined my best friend, Brian, who was building a company called, uh, at the time, called the Rubbish Boys. We changed the name to 1-800-GOT-JUNK, and we built that company up. I joined as the 14th employee and as the COO. And I left six and a half years later. We had 3,100 employees system-wide. We were operating in 330 cities, ranked as the number two company in Canada to work for. We'd landed 5,000 stories, 5,200 stories about us in the media, including Oprah. Um, and, and I took them from 2 million to 106 million in six years. I left there about 15 years ago now and started working behind the scenes, coaching CEOs of typically 50 to 500 person companies and um, did that successfully for a long time. I've written five books. Um, I've been paid to speak in 26 countries on six continents. And then five years ago, started an organization called the COO Alliance, which is the only network of its kind in the world for the second in command. Um, and we built that up just to give them, because there's a million groups for entrepreneurs. You know, you've got EO and YPO and all these amazing organizations for entrepreneurs, but there was nowhere for the COO to go and actually spend time really digging into the business. And then I have a podcast as well called the Second in Command Podcast. So that's a little bit about me. Hey, you've said that a few times before because I have never heard anyone get through that much information. My hand hurts right now. <laughs> I'm just trying to take notes on where to dig in. But wow, that is unbelievable, Cameron. And you know, I mean, when I'm sitting here and I'm, you know, sitting chatting with you right now, I mean, my mind is going a thousand miles an hour trying to think of like, how do I maximize this time for myself, but also for the listeners when when I think of like all the different directions that we could take this in. But I, I'm actually really curious, you know, you, you started off stating that your grandparents, your parents, you everyone's been an entrepreneur in your family and you were effectively yeah. groomed as an entrepreneur. Like growing up in a household like that and having that being sort of the driving light, like you are to be a business owner, you've got to run things so that you can manage your time. I mean, doesn't that create a level of, uh, I mean, yeah, competition, but maybe even stress. I mean, I'm just curious, like I almost had the opposite approach growing up. I think it probably did. I mean, I, I did a talk that's on the main site. If you go to ted.com and look up my name, uh, I did a talk about raising kids as entrepreneurs. And I think I definitely had a more stressful childhood because I was always doing stuff to make money. I was always running these little ventures. But I also was in, you know, I played a lot of golf. I played a lot of tennis. I, I skied competitively. When I golfed and played tennis competitively. So I definitely was engaged in having fun and doing activities. And, you know, we didn't have the internet back then. Like we, we didn't, didn't sit and watch TV. I was like running my businesses and, and playing sports and engaged in school and having a good time. I also didn't have the pressure of school. My parents told me at a very young age that my grades didn't matter as long as I tried my best. They were quite happy with a C minus. So I got a lot of 65% on tests and I wanted to get A's, but I knew that wasn't for me. Um, so I think I didn't have the stress that some kids have with school, 
I just went to school to learn as best as I could. And then I worked really hard at my businesses and sports. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, that is definitely a different world back then. Like I think about what a waste of time, so much of the scrolling, you know, the perpetual scrolling on Instagram and how you're just never getting that time back. So definitely a good time to, to sort of invest in things that are really worthwhile, your health and then your wealth. Well, and even, and even school, like I think about a lot of the learning that I did growing up as a student, I learned more from reading books about business than I did from any of the classrooms I sat in. You know, I remember when I was in second year university in an organizational behavior class, my professor said something about hiring and I put my hand up and I said, have you ever hired anyone? And I wasn't being rude. I just, I was curious whether he was speaking from a theory perspective or some, some experience. And he, he looked and he goes, no, but have you? And I went, yeah, I actually have 12 full-time employees and the whole class turned and I was like, oh fuck, I'm now that guy. Like I didn't, want to be that guy. <laughs> but, but I remember just that was different. So I think about, you know, something that, that I think business owners, whether they're small or scaling up can really benefit from is in growing, not only growing themselves, but really growing their team and growing their leaders. You know, you've invested in your COO and putting her into the CO Alliance to grow her skill set. Our job as a leader is to grow people. It's to grow their skills and to grow their confidence. And I almost think that a, a leader and a manager is climbing up two ladders right beside each other. And let's say that their left foot and left hand is climbing up one ladder and their right foot and right hand is climbing up the other ladder. So the one ladder is skills and the other ladder is confidence. And we have to grow their skills and grow their confidence and grow their skills and grow their confidence and grow their skills. And the more they grow their confidence, the more they'll grow their skills, right? But more often than not, leaders are trying to hold people accountable and tell them what to do and manage them. And that's not giving them any confidence. It's not giving them any skill development. And I think that's probably one thing that I learned growing up was I was given the skills and confidence of an entrepreneur. And then I worked in companies where we really focused on growing our people. I even launched a course recently called Invest in Your Leaders, which is the, the 12 core modules that I've used to grow skill sets across my management teams. Things like coaching and delegation, situational leadership, time management, email management, conflict management, interviewing effective meetings, like all the skill sets that managers and leaders don't have. I think if we train our teams on that, that's what superpowers or supercharges their businesses. So that's probably been a core for me. And I don't think I really identified it as much. I, I was more a um, unconscious competent. I was really, really good at doing it. I didn't even know I was doing it because it had been a part of me for so long. Now it's become very conscious. I'm very conscious of the fact that my job is to grow people. Yeah, really powerful stuff. I mean, one of our my favorite books and a book that we have every single one of our team members that join and actually the partial brainchild of the name Multiply Me is Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. Um, how the how the best leaders make those around them smarter. But yep. I I actually you really struck a nerve for me then when you were just talking through the two different competencies, specifically when you were talking about being a great leader and being a great manager. And I often, when I'm speaking to my team, I say, I feel like I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a good leader. I'm not the best manager. And so I'd love you to sort of break down how you would define management versus leadership and how those are interconnected or sort of built separately. Well, let me flip it a little bit too. If you hire really good people who manage themselves, you don't need to manage them. Right? I was asked by Fortune magazine in 2003, how do you motivate your employees? I said, I don't motivate my employees. 
I hire motivated people, right? It, like how, how do you hold people accountable? You don't, you hire accountable people. So I think the job of managing people disappears if you hire people that can manage themselves, right? You don't need a babysitter to take care of kids if the kids can take care of themselves. And I think we've often forgotten that point. So what I like leaders to do is to really think about what's my org chart look like in three years? What's it look like in two years? What's my org chart look like in 12 months? And do I have those seats filled? How can I put people in those seats? How can I grow the skill sets and the confidence of the people in those seats? How can I get them working well together? So you're growing the capacity of your team. You're not managing them, right? I almost flip the org chart upside down where the CEO is at the bottom, supporting the C-suite and the VPs who are supporting the managers, who are supporting the employees, who are supporting the customers. So you don't have to manage people. You know, there's, there's a funny story that I heard years ago about the two, the two leaders or managers that were out in charge of, of clear-cutting a forest. And so the, the manager and the leader are out clear-cutting a forest and one's clear-cutting, he's got his whole team and they're efficient and they're chopping down trees and they're, he's managing them to cut everything down. And the leader has his team out there and he climbs up a tree and he looks around and he says, holy shit, we're in the wrong forest. You know, that's, that's a real core difference between leadership and management is having the visibility towards strategy and the future and what matters. Because there's a lot of highly productive managers that are getting the wrong stuff done. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that resonates with me deeply, just thinking through sort of the time invested over the years on things that may not actually yield a positive ROI, let's say, but had we have had the foresight of actually sitting down and taking that you know, 10,000 foot view and saying, well, is this, you know, is this something that we believe to be true a year from now, three years from now, 10 years from now? And is this really the, the trajectory and the vision? I mean, that's something that I think as a, as a leader, you learn in time too. Yeah. And I think that's what we have to grow the skill set around our people, our leadership team. So they're thinking that way, right? They're thinking strategically. They, they're, they're thinking across the organization. One of the biggest detriments to an organization is the head of a business area is so let's say it's the head of marketing and they think marketing is their core. It's not multiply me is like the head of marketing's most important team is the leadership team for multiply me, not marketing. The head of finance, most important team is multiply me, not finance. And as soon as they recognize they're not in charge of their area, they're in charge of the whole company. They just think differently. You know, we only have three inputs. We have our people, we have time, like days, weeks, and months ahead of us, and we have money, and we have to get the highest return on investment of those three inputs. So it's it's about leadership deciding what are the critical few things to work on versus the important many. You know, I think people so often get bogged down in busy work, but they don't produce anything, or they, they, they're working really hard on stuff that isn't necessarily giving the highest ROI. So, okay. So that's definitely, I would say, something that most entrepreneurs likely struggle with. You know, they're you can get so caught up in the weeds and so close to the source of what it is you're doing in the day-to-day. How do you approach or what's your advice to people to actually have them take that step back and actually work towards understanding what that goal really should look like? So I, I, I actually created a concept years ago, or I learned a concept from an Olympic coach 25 years ago, but it's now a registered trademark called a vivid vision. And so I've, I've talked about it in three of my books, in Double Double, The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs, and then I wrote a book called Vivid Vision. The idea is that 
for entrepreneurs, they, they can see their company in their mind. You know, you know what you want your company to look like, act like, feel like you've got a good vision of how you want the team to be working and your meeting rhythms. So the idea is you lean out into the future. So let's say that you, let's say you and I hop into the DeLorean time machine with, you know, Michael J. Fox, and we're going to go back to the future, but we're going to travel out to December 31st, 2024. So we're going to lean out three years into the future. And we're going to hop out of the time machine and we're going to walk around your company together. And we're going to describe everything we see. We're going to describe the leadership team meetings. We're going to have three or four bullet points around what the customers are saying about the company. We're going to have three or four points about what the employees are saying. We're going to talk about marketing and IT and operations and finance and engineering. We're going to talk about the company culture and the perks. We don't know how it happened, but we're going to describe what we see. Most entrepreneurs are clear on that. Or, or they have it in their mind and it's kind of scrambled, but none of your employees can read your mind. So if you can get all of those ideas out of your mind and create a four or five page written description of what your vivid vision looks like, acts like, and feels like, then you get a, a copywriter to polish that and pop it off the page. And then you share it with your design elements added to it to all of your employees. That allows everyone to make decisions based on where you're going. And I think that's what helps entrepreneurs to prioritize. So for me, I'm very, very clear on what I'm building, right? It's all about the CO Alliance. It's all about like the second in command podcast drives the CO Alliance. My core purpose for 15 years has been to help entrepreneurs make their dreams happen. And that's what the CO Alliance is critical because most entrepreneurs will never be doing the stuff. Like you'll learn how to interview, but your team is doing most of the interviews. You'll learn that, oh, we need to have KPIs, but your team will be managing the dashboards. So we really need to take to grow the team. So I'm so clear on, on my core purpose is to help entrepreneurs, but that one of the best ways to do that is to grow the CO Alliance, to push out the Invest in Your Leaders course, to do my second plan podcast, to have, they're all completely aligned. My books, everything's aligned with my core purpose. So any entrepreneurial company that starts with the vivid vision, aligns their team with that vivid vision, and then focuses on the critical few projects that start making that vivid vision happen. And then you build it like you're building a home, the foundation, you put in the walls, you put in the electrical and the plumbing. Entrepreneurs get all distracted. They want to put in the beautiful stove and the nice cabinets, but they forget about the foundation, right? The core values, the core, that, that's kind of my approach. Yeah, that is very, very wise words of wisdom there. And when you're, when you're even sitting there and expressing to me right now, like, what does it look like three years from now, you know, after we've hopped out of the DeLorean? Like, it's clear as day to me. You know, I really can see exactly how things are going to interact. Like, the, the business is going to take on two or three evolutions from where it sits today, where we're still in day one, even two years in, but it's extremely clear. So, absolutely. It actually reminds me of a concept that they have at Amazon called when they write a PR FAQ, if you're familiar. So, yeah, I'm very, very familiar. So similar construct, I think you actually take it further uh, because that's more so around the product launch. Well, I guess it's kind of like a business, but you're building the, you know, the entire, you're building that entire framework, you know, essentially the same way. So, so fantastic. Yeah. Well, while we're talking, I just dropped a couple of links that you may want to share in the show notes, but they're examples of vivid visions that companies have used all over the world. Um, I have a writer, Jennifer Hude, she and her team have written over 400 vivid visions for companies all over the world. But you might want to share a couple that you like with, um, you know, in, in the show notes, if that fits. A hundred percent. I'll be putting that, the book. 
I wanted to take a quick break to tell you about something. The other day, I read about a COO writing about when the going gets difficult and how they were happy to be in the CEO mastermind group that they were. It made me remember that that's why I started the COO Alliance. It's a peer group and community for COOs and seconds in command of companies doing 5 million to 250 million in revenue. Our core group meets monthly online with other companies like yours. It's amazing because you get your frame broken tons of times. And when you think there's only one way to do something and one way to feel about something, you get your perspective completely changed on a regular basis. We also host hundreds of COOs on our monthly mastermind calls and smaller groups twice a year at our in-person COO Connect events. So if you're the founder or owner of a fast-growing company, tell your COO to check it out. And if you are the COO, head on over to the COOalliance.com to learn more about becoming a member today. All right, back to the podcast. I do everything backwards. It's kind of the Cheshire Cat said, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there, right? The Cheshire Cat from Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, of course. In fact, my playa name at Burning Man is Cheshire because I'm so focused on where I'm going all the time on the playa that people think they called me the Cheshire Cat. So if you're clear on a project, you can figure out how to make the project happen. If you're clear on the design elements for a website, you can create the website. If you're clear on a project, you can get it done quickly. If you're clear on on your your trip that you're going on, you can have an, an amazingly organized trip and agenda. It's the same with growing a business. It's no different. Yeah, absolutely. Who do you camp with? <laughs> I'm uh, Spanky's Wine Bar. <laughs> I know Spanky's Wine Bar. I was part of Bang Bang, and then we started one a couple of years ago. Okay, my my whole tribe is out there right now. They're they're on the playa right now. I was just watching uh, Robohart just did the the sunset um, set, so I just watched it this morning. Uh, have you got into the multiverse? The you know the the digital experience? Yeah, a little bits of it. It's it's kind of cool. I'm just aching to be out there. I had tickets last year. I was ready to go back out again this year, and it's just like I'm so struggling with with not being on the playa. So we'll have to connect there for sure. A hundred percent next year, mate. It, uh... By the way, you're you're over in Israel. Doesn't Israel have a burn, or has that been canceled, or what's is it yeah. still happening? So so it hasn't happened for three years now. Um, it's called Midburn, and it's amazing. It's very different. It's much more in its infancy. So it's pretty cool to see like from you know leaving burning man to coming to midburn it's a very different experience but you know much more raw like the production value isn't there it's like you know it's boot it's it's, it's almost like it's like vc backed burning man versus bootstrap to midburn well my my first burn was 2007 so it's i'm i'd rather start going to the midburn i want to go to south africa burn i heard there's something up that's pretty cool up in i think it's sweden or finland that's supposed to be amazing so it's time to start checking out some of the smaller ones for sure Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, you know what, as a, as an entrepreneur and as someone who's been there for some time, I mean, for me, uh, I feel like it's one of the most valuable weeks of, of my year, every year that I'm there, I've been to four or five burns now. And, you know, I'd love to hit, you know, I haven't really spoken to many high level, well, I mean, you do on the playa, right. But then you leave and you don't always reconnect with them, but for you, like, what does it actually symbolize? What does it actually do for you from a, from a life standpoint? But for me, it's a, a connection of what really matters, which is like none of this shit matters. Like what we're doing to make money. Like I don't really care what you do for work. You don't care what I do for. I want to know about your fears, your insecurities, your passions, your hobbies. Like the stuff that really matters has started to really matter. Um, things don't matter anymore. I have had all the things, and I have a lot of things. I don't need things now. I want the experiences and connections with people. 
I just don't shake hands with people anymore. Like I, I, I was coaching Marcelo Claret, who is CEO of Sprint. And when I first met Marcelo, I walked up to him and he's six foot eight. I'm six foot four. And I walked up and gave him a hug. And I realized I'm hugging this huge giant in our first. And he's the CEO of the 82nd largest company in the United States. That's changed me fundamentally. I think just being aware of wonder has changed me. I think realizing like how big people can make stuff like it. There's just if you just let people go and be creative um, has been incredible. Yeah, all of it. The collaboration, I don't know, everything. I know, I get it. I mean, for me, the first time I went, it was the gift of giving without the expectation of reciprocation. When you actually, when you feel that it's 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 in the player, it's in the experience, you can't not feel the principles when you're there. You don't have to read them to actually experience them. And from that, I mean, for me, I am most happy when I'm giving back, not taking. And and that was probably the biggest fundamental. Yeah, and and we learned that in our first day, right? Because we all show up in our first burn with stuff to trade, thinking it's about bartering, and then realizing that no one's actually asking you for anything and giving anything back. And you're like, oh, it's not about bartering; it's just about contributing and caring. And yeah, it's a, just an amazing experience. It's interesting that that if you go back to I think 2000 and ish, um, when when Sergey Brin and Larry Page, who I hang out with Sergey at, at TED every year, um, when they were hiring. Eric Schmidt as their CEO of Google in the interview process, and I'll, I'll butcher this story lightly, but they were they had some very solid candidates and, and they were looking for someone they fit with culturally. And they asked Larry, like, what do you do for fun? He's like, oh, I make these robots and I take them out in the desert and I let them roam around. And they're like, where the hell do you do that? That sounds amazing. He goes, oh, I go to this festival and, and they're like, what's it called? And he's like, Burning Man. They're like, dude, you're in. And because they they went as well and they realized that that was their tribe. And I think companies have to think about your core culture, your core values, and obsess about your core values, that you only bring people in who fit your core values. And if they don't fit, fuck them. Like, don't bring them in, right? Like, business is extraordinarily easy if we listen to everything grandmother told us. You know, I think all the grandmotherisms of business are so true, and we overcomplicate it with our MBA you know, thought process. Give me a few grandmotherisms. Uh, one bad apple spoils the whole bunch, right? If you have one bad employee, uh, make hay while the sun shines. Like if you're if you're feeling gold, like if you've got the energy, go for it. God, I got like fifty of them written down. I mean, that, those uh, are those are those are very. I mean, that's a very good example there. But that actually brings me to a really interesting point, at least on my mind. I mean, you're someone who's hired literally, probably not thousands, probably tens of thousands of people in, in across your career, right? I mean, what was it? You hired 3,000 people in the uh, got, uh, 1-800-GOT-JUNK? Yeah, I 4, mean, I've, I've, personally, I've personally interviewed and hired about four or 500 that I've at least interviewed and, and made the hiring decision. And then I've built companies that we've hired. You know, at, at College Pro Painters, we hired 8,800 people every summer. You know, and I was on the top 30 people where we had to get 800 franchisees in four months and then train those 800 franchisees to hire 8,000 students in a, in a month. There's not many companies on the planet that hire 8,800 people every year. We became operationally world-class at recruiting, interviewing, selection, onboarding, training, and development of people. And that's probably the core. That's what the core of my course, the Invest in Your Leaders course is all of the stuff that I trained Kimball Musk on in 1993, right? It's 
and and that yeah so so yeah one eight hundred got junk three thousand one hundred was great but that was over six years we were doing eight thousand eight hundred every year. I mean, how do you even approach building a system or an infrastructure to enable you know attracting, recruiting, retain? Like, how do you even how do you even quantify that? It's funny, no one's ever asked that question. So Greg Clark, the founder of College Pro, said if it's if it takes you more than one piece of paper to write it, you're overcomplicating it. And I want to keep it even simpler. So get it to a half a piece of paper. So I've taken it to the next level, which is every system has to be able to be documented on a post-it note with letters read by a 50-year-old, like with bad eyesight, right? Like not tiny. So just just what are the simple systems to make it happen? And if you think about simplifying it to that level. In the franchising world, you have to take every system and make it work for the worst franchisee in the worst market with the worst employee, right? Like think about like a McDonald's, as bad as their food is, there's consistency across that organization that they can still serve a quarter pounder with cheese or a Big Mac in every market that's pretty damn consistent, made by a 15-year-old kid who's got pimples on his face and still serve it to the customer with us, you know? that's how you do it. And, and at college pro painters, you know, we only looked at the, at the marketing material for a two week period once a year. We didn't, we didn't think about marketing again for the next 50 weeks. We would, we would tweak it. We'd make changes and then we'd put it to bed for a year. We only looked at our, at our policies and procedures or operating manual once a year. We only looked at our recruiting systems once a year. You know, we, so we really, it was about the minimum viable everything. It was about just get it done and get it out the door. We only had four pieces of marketing material to run a $64 million company. Yeah, that's insane. That's insane to think. I mean, I'm I'm really sitting here seeing, you know, a couple of trends in, in how you... So, you strike me as someone who's very meticulous and methodical. You know, everything that you are looking to actually achieve, it has purpose you know like you stated yes. the the second the second in command podcast drives the value for the coo alliance all you want to do is help educate the second in command the coos of the world and help build entrepreneurs to bring their dreams at what point in your career did you actually find that level of focus like has this been something from your youth that you've sort of instilled throughout or is this something that's come to fruition over the, over the course of your career it's it's come from a few things it came from sport so for me, I've always seen entrepreneurs like a fly trying to get out the window. You know, they're going to keep banging their head on the they keep trying, keep trying, banging your head on the, and you end up dead on the windowsill. And I always saw the door that was open. I'm like, I'll just go out the door. So I always saw the shortcuts. You know, I learned that in, in golf. I learned how to take the shortcuts on parts of the course and how to get out of the bush. I learned how to, how to, to not take risks and have the most efficient shots. I learned it in ski racing, how to have the most efficient path to, to you have less kind of friction on the on the hills and in your races. I learned it in the tennis court, how to find the gaps and and how to how to like go against somebody's weaknesses. So I've I've probably because I wasn't the smartest kid. So for me it was always about the shortcuts and the easiest paths and um and about simplicity because I didn't know how to make it complicated. Like if I showed you my university transcript, you'd laugh. Like it's pathetic. Yeah. So well well that actually so Going back, like right to the start of the conversation here, you said that you were getting C minuses, 65%. Your parents were happy with that. You were sort of getting through and there was no added pressure on you. Like I'm someone who, you know, I went through formal education. I dropped out of architecture. I went and I studied marketing and management and 
ace that because everything after architecture was easy. But I, in my mind, I got very almost no value out of my higher education, my my degree. Like I'd love to hear your position, having the success you've had over your career and where you sit today. Like, what's your position on sort of the traditional format of education? Well, no one, I'm going to show you as I'm answering, I'll show you my transcripts. So you can laugh at it, but no one's ever asked you or me for our grades. <laughs> no one's, no one's ever asked. <laughs> That's not great, mate. That's no, not... it's really bad. Someone, yeah. <laughs> it's B, F, withdrawn, C minus, C minus, C, D minus, D. Like, dude, I sucked at school, but I was, I started the very first fraternity in the city of Ottawa. I was the coach and on the university ski team for two years, skied in the Canadian American Championships. I ran a business for three years while I was in the university. Like I was highly engaged in all things around campus. And I learned more from that than I did from sitting in a classical classroom. So I learned that there's theory and experience, right? I think there's some value in some kids going to university. Like I told my youngest son who I'm starting, I fly him to Montreal tomorrow to enroll him in his first year at University of Concordia. I said, you have to do one year, just one year to have the experience. And if you decide you just want to run your own business and you want to travel the world and do your businesses that you're doing now, go for it. But you have to do at least one year. Uh, because I don't believe that that universe now, especially where you can access the internet and you can collaborate with others, you can be a part of mastermind groups, you can do online courses. Like there's so much access to information. When I went to university, you had to be the smartest person in the room because there was no internet. I had a typewriter in university, no laptop. There was no internet. There was no Google. So you had to memorize everything because if the one book in the library wasn't there, you couldn't get the information out. You know. I think things have changed. Yeah, massively. So I like that though. I like that, you know, you're pushing him to to actually have the experience and make an informed decision because without actually ever going, you won't be able to make that that decision. But I'd even say like my business partner, he's 26. He was going to go and take a job at a bar uh, when he finished the army here. So he's Australian, moved here, spent four and a half years. He was a, an elite combat soldier here, had a hundred soldiers under him he's you know he's and he's a genius as well on top of all of that also doing this all in hebrew and i brought him into the last business that i was working on and left and brought him across with me and i said listen you can go and study entrepreneurship or you can come and work with me and you know try the real thing and it's now you know two three years in together and i think Mm -hmm. it's the best decision he probably ever made in his life uh to be an equity owner in a business that's growing at the rate we are and doing all these things like the guy's sure. running, you know, he's running a multi-million dollar business now. Otherwise he would have been just theorizing all of it. I mean, I don't know. And I, I still think there's something that's okay about education as long as you're there and you understand your purpose, which is to learn and have fun while you're learning, not to necessarily get the grade. Right. And I think there's something, I wish that I had gone to more of my classes and tried to learn more from my class so to have more theory to bring into my experience learning as well, right? I think it could have rounded me a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I can I can theorize. I can I can see how that might have uh, that impact. I got a couple more topics for you before I let you get on with your day here. But the first thing that has struck me is that like you talked about the fact that you were coaching before coaching was a thing. You know, you were educating entrepreneurs. You said 120, if I'm not mistaken, back in the 90s. Yes. Yeah, uh, 1989 to 1994, I'd coached 120 entrepreneurs. So, so 
for a lot of people, and we actually were talking a little bit about this, I think before we hit record was about the whole notion of, of that imposter syndrome of, am I really the right person to be taking this leap and running a company or being the COO? And I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, they, they struggle with this. How did you get into that first standpoint of saying, right, I'm ready to start coaching and I take on 120 people before there's like this mass push right now where everyone's a coach and everyone's got a course and, you know. Yeah. And that's all, that's all new in the last 10 to 12 years. The whole coaching world really exploded about 10 to 12 years ago. It really wasn't a thing prior to that. It was very, very niche. So I was involved in a franchise organization. Um, when I ran my house painting business, I got a, a, a one-year summer franchise from a group called College Pro Painters. College Pro ended up becoming the largest house painting company in the world. So because I was a very successful franchisee for them for three years, I was in the top five in Canada in my third year. They identified me as someone who was very, very good at it. And I was a really good leader of people that I was recruited to then become a general manager and to oversee a group of franchisees. So in the first year, I coached 16 franchisees. Next year, it was 21. Then it was like 27. So over the over the four years that I was a, a general manager with them, I coached 120 entrepreneurs. Yeah, incredible. And so I guess you had sort of a, a staged approach, like you were brought into it and sort of given that platform to really... Well, and they trained the heck out of me. You know, I, I've had, oh, I've probably had 50 hours of training on interviewing. I've probably had 50 hours of training on coaching, 50 hours on situational leadership, 10 or 20 hours on delegation, 20 or 30 hours on time management, on effective meetings. Like I've had so much training, almost like I went to a General Electric, you know, the the, the Black Belt, Six Sigma or mm-hmm. Cotonville, or I've gone through the really solid leadership skills of how to be a solid leader of an organization that they don't teach. You know, they don't teach you in, even in an MBA, they don't teach you how to interview. They don't teach you how to do, how to run meetings. They don't teach situational leadership. These are the soft skills as they used to call them of leadership. And I got a lot of training around that, fortunately, at a very young age. Yeah, incredible, incredible. Um, The last thing I had for you, (laughs) the last thing I had for you here was, you know, you've seen businesses at, plenty of different stages from startup to scale up to you know effectively listing and going public i mean you've really seen the gamut when you look at you know when you look at the stage in your career where you're at right now and through all these experiences like what actually resonates from what's building the biggest leverage like how do you actually turn all of that information and say like for you personally i'm not asking as a general rule of thumb because some people love the startup mentality and they'll build it to five, 10 million and sell it and move on. That's what they're passionate about. Once it gets, once they don't know everyone's name in the building, they're not interested. Like what motivates you? Cause you're someone who's built an enormous network. You can effectively, you know, tap just about anyone on the shoulder these days. What's, you know, what's your, what's your sweet spot? I, I really am passionate about helping grow entrepreneurs and their, and their leaders on how to grow companies. Like I just, I see them working so hard, banging their head on the window. And I see the door that's right here that if like people will complain all the time about it's so hard to find good people. I'm like, no, you suck at interviewing. You know, our meetings suck. No, you suck at running meetings. You know, like there's there, they forget that they don't have the core skills to do what they're doing. You know, you would never send a kid off to play little league baseball or cricket or rugby or soccer without teaching them the basics of the sport. You know, they'd come home from their first night at baseball or their first night at soccer saying soccer sucks. No, you suck at soccer. 
right? And then in business, we have all these leaders that they know how to do their, they might know marketing, they might know finance, they might, but they don't know how to manage a team. They don't know how to coach. They don't know how to run one-on-one meetings. They don't know how to run normal meetings. And yet they're struggling through that on the day-to-day thinking business is hard just because they don't have any training at the core. So I'm just trying to give them the shortcuts because it just seems so frustrating. You know, I would, I've said for years, I would do this for free, except my kids have to eat. Yeah. Yep. That, that, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And again, like coming from that burnt, you know, the burning man world, I think that especially when I'm there, you know, like, what does all of this all mean? Like how many more things do you need? Like that is that doing all of the work for the, you know, for the 51 other weeks of the year makes that entirely worth it. If I go back to burning man, one of my favorite things to do on the playa is to take a virgin burner and just go for a bike ride and show them the playa so that they understand it to, to, to show them so that they, they feel more comfortable and they understand the flow and they understand where stuff happens and, and not to tell them what to do, just to, you know, it's just to help grow them. Mate, I wish I'd found you back in 2013 or whatever my first year was and uh, had someone to guide me through because it took me three days to get my bearings. I was there in 2013 as well. I was In 2013, I was in Entheon was the camp that I was in in 2013. <laughs> which is now, it's now called Mystic. Okay, I know Mystic. Uh, we, we, we free camped. We were 10, 10 guys out of Australia. We had absolutely no idea what we were doing. We, we didn't have so much as a shade structure. Can you imagine what that's like? It was so in over our heads. It was ridiculous. But, you know, you figure it yeah. out. The community brings you in. And, you know, I found a, a number of people that really showed us the ropes. But, geez. I'll tell you. I'll tell you a funny story before we wrap up at Burning Man. The summer of 2008, I brought Tim Ferriss in for his first burn. He and I were friends and he went by a fake name. So no one in our camp would know who he was because his book was just launching. And he called me about two nights before the burn and said, Hey, I've got this friend of mine. He's an entrepreneur. I'm like, yeah, bring him. And he starts explaining who the guy is. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Just bring your friend. So anyway, my camp didn't get along that well with, with the other Tim, some of Tim's camp. And there was all this strife happening. And I was like, ah, frustrated. Anyway, one night, it was like the Wednesday night, middle of the week this entrepreneur that Tim brought was pitching us on his business. It's like two o'clock in the morning. We're having a good time at two o'clock in the morning. And he's explaining this business model to us. And I'm like, this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. He was trying to explain an app store. And we didn't understand if it is, is the app store like at a shopping mall? Like where do you go to, to find this store that you're going to get apps and what's an app. So finally he explains what an app is and what an app store is. Okay. We understand the concept. And then what do you do with this app? And you're going to press a button and a taxi or a limousine is going to come. Like, that's the dumbest thing we've ever heard. And it was Garrett Camp, the founder of Uber, pitching <laughs> us on Uber. Four of the five said no. Typically, my investment back then was a $25,000 seed investment. Tim Ferriss said yes, put twenty five grand into Uber. The other four of us said no, the dumbest thing we'd ever heard. Tim's investment the day of the IPO was worth $108 million. That So that was a wild. very very expensive burn. But my lesson from that was never <laughs> cover, right? Because of what Garrett was sitting wearing and, and we were at Burning Man, I, I didn't take him seriously. And then I realized that sometimes you just need to slow down and listen. And <laughs> That is, uh, that's insane. I mean, you know, that where else but Burning Man for something like that to happen. Right. 
Unreal. Well, Cameron, it's been an absolute honor having you. Uh, I've, I've learned a lot. I've taken a lot of notes. Uh, I'm going to go and read the, your book. So it'll be in the show notes for anyone else who, who isn't. But The Vivid Vision, I cannot wait to do the exercise and, and go through it because uh, I think it'll bring a lot of clarity to the whole team and what we're working yeah, you on. Thank you so much. Thanks for putting your COO into our CO Alliance. And make sure that we share the Invest in Your Leaders uh, link with your tribe too, because there's a lot of really good lessons in there. It's it's the skills that I've used to grow every company. Yeah, I cannot wait to get into it. Before I do let you go, uh, you know, you've brought up the COO Alliance a few times, but if anyone did want to join, anyone listening in or, or anything else that you're up to, I mean, how would they go about that? Sure. So first off, there's no entrepreneurs allowed. Um, it's only the second in command. It can be COO or president, VP operations, whatever, as long as they're the second in command of the CEO. And you have to do at least 5 million or greater in revenue to qualify. We've got members from 17 countries and, uh, all they do is go to COOalliance.com and all the information is there. Or They can drop me an email, Cameron at CameronHerald.com and I can fast track them as well. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.